there's a friction somewhere, right? Like there's somewhere your audience and your messaging is not matching up. Another indicator is churn rate. How high is your churn rate? There's nothing like a one-on-one conversation for insights and those golden nuggets that's going to help reveal where the problems lie. Within about probably, I always it always seems to become clear to me around conversation six or seven where we're headed or where the problems are. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. Imagine this. You're running a bakery and you make the best bagels in town. Sesame, poppy seed, and plain are all the flavors that you sell. Your regular customers love them and come back week after week to get a bag of bagels. One day, a non-regular walks in and asks if you sell loaves of bread. You don't, but you know you have some extra dough in the back and, and it should work. So you spend the next hour making that custom loaf of bread. While working on it, you lose track of time and let a bunch of bagels get overdone. By the time the loaf is done, that prospective customer has since lost interest and left. And now your regular customers are complaining about overdone bagels. All right. So what's the moral of that story? Well, it can be easy to lose sight of serving the right kinds of customers if you don't have a plan. And my guest today is an expert at creating buyer personas that will keep you and your business focused on serving more of the right people. She's a B2B content strategist and the founder of Best Buyer Persona. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Adrian Barnes. Hey, Adrian. Hey, hi, Stuart. Hi, thanks for having me. I love that whole analogy of bagels and I mean, First of all, I really now I need an everything bagel. Like that's been on my grocery list for a while. So you just push that over the top. Thanks. <laughs> uh, no, no, you don't make everything bagels. You just make plain and poppy seed. <laughs> it's, it's oh, that's me. right. I forgot. <laughs> just thinking about how oftentimes we just try and uh, get everyone on board, and we try and serve everyone, and and it it becomes so easy to see that that's the wrong strategy when you have it broken mm-hmm. down to like a simple business like that. But it's, in fact, not as simple as that most of the times. And we'll dig into that. Yeah, absolutely. That's very <laughs> true. Very true. Um, One of my first clients told me when I was working through there, I was like, so who is your audience? And they told me, well, it's really everyone. It's just everybody needs this. And I was oh, like, That's oh, like the okay. hardest. What was your immediate response to them? Like, how did you handle that? Because I hear that quite a bit too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was so brand new. This was literally my first client, I do believe. I mean, it was one of those off of Upwork. So, but I knew enough to know that you can't serve everyone. Like this seems like marketing lesson number one, right? Like you just can't have an audience of everyone. So I kind of was trying to ask more questions like, well, but who's going to buy it? Where, you know, just trying to get to the core. And it turned out, you know, eventually just going through a gauntlet of questions that the person wasn't quite ready, right? Like if they're giving you the answer of, well, it's for everybody, then they don't know enough even about their product yet to like bring it to market is kind of where we landed. Like, I think we really need to develop a little bit more understanding of what your product is and, 
and who you need to serve before we launch it. So yeah, that's how that one ended up. That was, that was an interesting one for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure you've got more stories like that. It's, it's a tough pill for business owners to swallow, especially if they've invested time and effort in making the product before narrowing in on who it's for. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And because especially when you're in the trenches of building, you know, like with Best Buyer Persona building that one, it's like, but I want this to be for everybody. I want everyone in the world to want to buy my thing, right? Because my thing is awesome, but that's not actually how you reach and, uh, and resonate with, with a good audience. No, of course, of course. Before we get into the buyer personas too heavy, uh, I do have one question that might throw throw a loop, but I'm intrigued. I read somewhere that you used to be a high school English teacher. What what grades did you teach? Oh gosh. Okay, so I taught for four years, and I taught eighth grade through twelfth grade. Which that makes it each year I had I would teach a different grade, and I also taught a class called AVID. And so that was a high school college prep program. So I taught, yeah, eighth through 12th grade. I loved it. And the reason I ask is because I've got teacher friends and I know that they handle a lot of objections. If you want to think of a student as a customer, you're having to handle a lot more problems and deal with Mm -hmm. kind of custom solutions. So I was wondering if there are any particular skills or insights that you developed in your time being a teacher that you now apply when working with uh, marketing consultants. Oh, yeah. I mean, and not just my marketing consultants, like my clients, but my clients' clients, right? Like when I'm consulting, you know, when I was a teacher, I would want my kids to do a project or I'd want them to learn a concept, but I knew I couldn't just basically walk up and like Bueller it, right? Like just say it boring and hand them some boring content that I needed to dress it up. I need to package it neat. I need to explain it in a rap song. Like I was one of those ridiculous English teachers that made a fool of myself pretty much on a daily basis, but that was all to get the attention of my students, right? So it's almost the same thing in marketing. Like what kind of, how are we going to package this? So we're going to get the attention of our audience. And that's, that's the end goal at the, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I love that analogy too, of a student, of, of you having to get the attention of the student. That's exactly the same as a day in day out marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't made that connection until just now that actually, but that's a good point. <laughs> Well, that's probably what that, that maybe led you down the path. Yeah, probably. Step one. So now you focus a lot on helping software businesses in, in refining their buyer personas. So for those who don't know, what is a buyer persona and, and why do you think they're so important? Yeah. So my buyer personas that I call best buyer personas are different than what I call your standard buyer personas. So standard buyer personas are typically ones that I have seen, and I've seen quite a few dozens upon dozens is where, you know, it's a check the box marketing practice where, you know, maybe your content marketing manager or your CMO, somebody is assigned the task, right? Go, we need a buyer persona, go give me a buyer persona. So you sit down and like, there are slides, there are demographics. So you create a buyer persona and you're you're like, okay, well, so this is marketing. Marketers are our audience. We're going to call this guy, Mark the marketer. Oh, that's cute. That's cutesy. Here's his picture. You know, he's a 35 year old male who loves to play basketball and has two kids and is, you know, like we create all of these like behaviors that are, are not 
have no say in how they buy products, right? Like it's not tied to buying motivations and buying triggers or actual demographic information that's going to help you create products or sell to this person. It's basically arbitrary data that is thrown in there that becomes, it just kind of fills space in my mind. Like usually when the buyer persona is done, it gets wrapped up and it's in a Google doc and it doesn't get looked at again. Like I've heard so many times from clients of mine in the past that, well, we don't really use this. Like I'll ask for their buyer persona or who their audience is. And they'll tell me like, well, this is who they are. They can give me like their one liner, but they don't ever use the buyer personas. So by best buyer persona, I want to be as efficient as possible with buyer personas. So meaning like every piece of information in this document needs to help a marketer or a product person or a customer success person serve your audience and your customers better. So who really are these people? What are their buying triggers? What are the roles that they play in their in their organization? What are the responsibilities they have? What is the job that they've hired your product to do? And that's a pretty big one, that there are really jobs to be done focused by our personas. To your point about them getting done and then stowed away on some shared folder, never to be looked at again. How, how do you do them in a different way that allows them to be always top of mind and, and able to be used when creating those marketing or, or product decisions? Yeah. So first of all, I use it on a Google sheet. Like I want it to be something that is adaptable, editable, expandable. You can add in a sheet, you know, a slide above the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. I do it on Google slides so that everybody can come in and collaborate on, on this document, right? Like it's not just something that is solid in a PDF somewhere. And I encourage my clients when I've done these large buyer persona projects that they continually talk to their customers, that they continually add insights to this buyer persona. We actually have an offering and engagement called customer development, where we'll, we'll do it for you if you don't want to spend the time doing it yourself. But it's really important that you don't just do this one large project and then never look at your, you know, like the social listening aspect or that you're not talking to your customers anymore. Using those conversations and stuff and making sure that that's an integral part of your marketing process is so important. And it's what I really encourage with these best buyer personas is that they're continually added to and, and that it becomes basically your roadmap for, for future decisions. How, what are some indicators that let you know that it's time to update that buyer persona? As you mentioned, it's supposed to be ongoing, but what are some, some hints that things are a little too dated? Yeah. So if you have a buyer persona or if you're in a sales process and most of my, what I know is B2B SaaS. So I have to use a lot of B2B SaaS kind of examples because that's kind of the world that I'm in. So if you are finding that there's a lot of like your sales process is really long, let's say you're trying to get leads and, and you've got your sales come in and you've showed them the demo and then there's a lot of back and forth. And, you know, especially if it's not a highly technical enterprise level uh, product, you know, like there are some sales processes that take six months, but that's the nature of working with really large corporate kind of companies. But if you have a long sales process and you're not faced with those kinds of difficulties, then there's there's a friction somewhere, right? Like there's somewhere your audience and your your messaging is not matching up. 
Another indicator is churn rate. How high is your churn rate? Are you constantly fighting a high churn rate? Then somewhere you're attracting customers that aren't a good fit. And so we need to fix that. Like, what is the spot where we have convinced people at the beginning that this is exactly what they need and then they get into it and realize it's not? I really think that's a product of having a good solid buyer persona, helps eliminate churn in that way and really helps to shrink in the sales cycle. And and so when you see those those negative aspects of the business, like people churning and needing more support than they did beforehand, you know that your messaging's off somewhere. What what would you recommend at that point if someone notices that the old persona that they've put together doesn't isn't quite working? Where are there ways of troubleshooting where you might be wrong? I mean, outside of hiring me, I would <laughs> definitely get on the phone with your customers. You know, that's going to be first and foremost. You can learn insights through digital data. I do. And I do social listening and I have amazing tools and we do surveys and there's all kinds of really good ways to learn more about your customers, but there's nothing like a one-on-one conversation for insights and those golden nuggets that's going to help reveal where the problems lie. Within about probably, I always it always seems to become clear to me around conversation six or seven, where we're headed or where the problems are. And so I I just say, you know, map out an hour a week where if you're the CMO or if you're the CEO of a small startup where you are getting on the phone with your customers and not in a sales capacity, right? Or not in a customer support capacity. You're not getting on the phone in these conversations to solve their problem or to try to sell them a new solution or to upgrade or anything like that. You really are using this time to sit down and ask them how their experience is going and then just listen and ask them what what's kind of frustrating you right now what's the annoying thing about our product and they'll tell you and you just have to listen to it you can't try to then turn around because you will know a solution right you'll know a better way to go about it you'll know that maybe what they're saying is not accurate but that would eliminate all the trust so what you have to do is just kind of listen and and sit back and gather those insights and then apply them and it's really clarifying and key thing to to understanding where there's a mismatch among your audience. So that's so that's really helpful for talking to existing customers and that helps you develop some language and understand what they need from you. But then you also specialize in taking that insight from existing customers and then turning that into a content strategy to go find more customers who have the same buying habits as the people mm-hmm. who you're already serving. Is that right? Right. For content strategy. When I'm doing audience research for a content strategy, I want to know who are the best fit customers. Who are our like amazing customers? Our biggest fans is what I call them. Who are the biggest fans? And I get on the phone with like I said, maybe five or six for a content strategy. When I'm doing a buyer persona, I'm talking to 30 or 40 people. There's a lot of conversations for the buyer personas. But when I'm speaking to for just for the content strategy, really, I can hear it in about five to seven conversations. And so, yeah, who are the best fit? What are the biggest fans? And then I'm asking them questions like, you know, how are you using this? Tell me about the last time you used it. Tell me your most recent project with it. How are you using it with other things? With B2B SaaS, usually they're using it with a lot of other tools, right? What are all the tools you need to do your job? Just really trying to get a full picture understanding of who they are 
and, and what kind of information they need to know to do their job better or how we as a brand or as a company can serve content that's going to, to help them in any way possible. And presumably that allows you to create kind of top of funnel content, stuff that will get them interested in what you what you can offer them, but it also allows you then to create kind of middle and lower funnel content that needs to be a little bit more technical. It needs to say, look, our software plugs into all the other softwares that your company uses or is able to play nicely with your existing uh, customer base um, and things like that. But you wouldn't know that unless you'd ask them, how how are you currently using it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've done everything from taking it and doing like lifestyle type things like, oh, if you're a freelancer, you're probably trying to get organized. So we write things on that. You're looking at um, productivity. You're looking at uh, time management. I mean, just like all types of things that a different audience would be struggling with all the way down to, okay, now this is our tool and you are now trying to like, whatever, you've got this kind of use case, right? You're trying to achieve this thing let me walk you through step by step on how to do that. So yeah, it really does um, help to span the entire length of the funnel. Essentially, I get to meet the customers at their needs. Do you have any favorite questions that when you drop on a on a in one of those customer interviews, automatically just kind of opens up the conversation and they just pour out all these amazing insights? Yeah, there are a few. So one of my favorite ones is you know, I kind of go through my spiel and it's like, okay, so who do you think is the best fit customer for this product? And so usually that I, I try to save that one for the end. And what they end up doing is they end up describing themselves in a more succinct way than they had throughout the rest of the interview, right? So when I'm like, like, who's the best fit customer? You end up telling me who you are in about two to three sentences. So I like that question a lot. I also follow up with, oh, that's interesting. Wow. Can you tell me more about that? Like just my why question, you know, you always want to ask why when it's one of those bigger kind of core motivating kind of statements. Like, well, I really hated it when da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's hate. That's pretty strong. Like, can you tell me what, what you mm-hmm. hated about it? Just to really pull out those little golden nuggets. Yeah. So those are probably my two top favorites that I like to keep in my back pocket. Those are awesome. And the, the asking people to expand, I've, I've seen that done in real life and it's pretty amazing just kind of prompting someone to repeat themselves. They'll always tell you more than they did the first time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really, it's just, it can be an affirmation of what they just said, like, oh, okay. And they'll go on further. Like it's very rare that I provide something like a that well, actually they're called validating statements um, where I provide a validating statement and they don't expand. So that's also, it's pretty neat. I love that. On the content side of things, I've, I've heard you talk about this idea of creating content that is a how we story rather than a how to story. Would you be able to explain the difference between those two and go in some detail about which ones you prefer? Yes. So I will preface and say, I totally stole this from Allie Decker. So she tweeted it on Twitter and she was like, this is a great way to go with a how we, and I was like, yes, that's exactly what we need. So when this recent client that I've got, I'm putting together their content strategy and they have a large resource of experts that they can tap into, right? It's not just they're handing off writers to, to, or handing off content to one writer. They really do are going out 
and tapping into expert resources. So <clears throat> what I wanted to do was tell these experts stories, how we achieved X, Y, Z. And so we're really getting into, <clears throat> sorry, sorry. <clears throat> we're really getting into how an individual person developed their story, how this person achieved those goals, how this person used this product. So it really, it enables you to reach a bunch of different kinds of goals as a content marketer while not being the sole focus, right? Like we're going to come and we're going to come alongside somebody else and allow them to share their story with you. So our audience is learning. Our audience is being exposed to someone else. We're getting exposed via that other expert's audience, right? Like, cause they're going to share with their audience. We are getting our information told that we need to like share about our product, but we're not the ones doing it. We're not like self-boasting. We've got this other expert alongside of us sharing their story. So it, I, I just think it's a really cool way to kind of integrate almost a case study and almost like, uh, you know, that, that struggle, that hero's kind of journey into building into content marketing. And I am loving the kind of content coming out of it. It's really, it's really interesting. That is interesting. I've heard that method used by individuals, like people who are just making content for their own brands, but I've never seen it or heard it told that a brand could use that as their method. But it makes a lot of sense too, because the person reading that thing or watching it or whatever kind of content it is, they're going to want to be able to relate to it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the biggest issue that brands have when it comes to content is it's like no one wants to read a piece of content by a faceless organization. But if that piece of content is kind of peeling back the curtain and saying, here's how we thought about the world or here's how we see the world and here's what we're doing about it, there's at least that point of connection that allows that reader to then connect deeper or see themselves either as a customer or working for the company that they're reading from at that point. Yeah, absolutely. We're all we're if there's a shift towards community, even in like content marketing and for brands. And this is really something that is beginning to be a focus for it, especially in the B2B SaaS world. So it, it's another aspect of building a community around not just your brand, but around people doing the same interesting things that you're trying to get your customers to do, right? Like if you have a product, you have a group of people who are obviously have the same kind of problem. They're all obviously struggling through similar things and they've chosen your product to help them do that. Well, why not create an entire community and bring in other people who can come in and, and just kind of share the topics surrounding this issue or these products. And it's, you know, obviously each company, there's more than just like one issue. There's, there's so many things that people, we can like, create a community aspect with our content marketing out of and and that that how we kind of content is really helping to add another layer to that as well. What would you say to a marketer who isn't given the resources or the time in their day to go and have these conversations with customers? They're 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 told it's not a priority by whoever's managing them or if they're the manager, they just don't see the the value in it. Right. Okay. So what I like to say is if you're not given the resources, there are a few options available to you. The first and the best and the greatest thing is to have those one-on-one conversations. But I've been in situations where you're just flat out told no, and it's almost an impossibility to to reach beyond them. So the second best thing is then to get on um, sales calls 
or to see the recording of sales calls, right? Like if you can, if you record gong calls, or if y'all record your sales calls in any way, if you can get on those phone conversations, that's at least one step better than nothing. If you're not recording sales calls, or maybe you're not, you don't have a sales team, if you can then just try to do some like social listening and, and survey data, even that's better than not having the one-on-one conversations. There are a few things you can do to start to build on it. So if you're able to say, okay, look, we've pulled all this data, we surveyed, we've got this qualitative data. Now look how better this last, this next campaign did. Like, look at the better results we had from this campaign. I know if I could spend four hours talking to eight customers that we would have an even better results. You can't really deny results based on marketing, right? Like if you're going to perform better as a marketer, then it doesn't make any sense not to invest the time. It's not expensive. It's not overly time consuming. I really do think that you can get valuable insights in one hour a week if you just do it consistently. So being able to kind of start slow and proving that knowing your audience in this way is a value add, it should be an, an easy and good sell. And hopefully it can be if I would like to know if anybody, like if people haven't, that would be interesting to see if people have been able to sell this and worked on the, the having the audience and the, the customer interviews and then still they didn't get the buy-in. That'd be interesting. But mm. I, yeah, I think that, I mean, it, it's hard as marketers, you have to be able to tie everything to something like to some type of metric lead generation. And as soon as you can do that, it should be an easy sell in my opinion. Yeah. That's interesting you bring up that point of how to get buy-in because on a previous episode of the show, Benjamin Elias, he's he's moved he's moved his way up from a content creator at a at Active Campaign to Active, now yeah. uh, a content manager. And so he has a team of Loam. And what his biggest suggestion is for people who want their ideas heard and implemented is build it, build it with no additional resources bare bones, kind of just create something that is at least in the direction that you want to eventually make the bigger thing. But just start with Mm -hmm. a tiny thing and then show it to someone and say, hey, I've already built it. Can you give me a little bit more resources so I can finish it off? Because it's a lot harder for them to say, no, scrap that thing that you've spent time on and you have results with and just leave it alone versus going to someone with an idea, that's way easier to say no to. And so that was his biggest idea is like, say, if, if you want to start doing customer calls, yeah, like jump on some sales meetings and then use a free transcribing tool and turn that into a transcription and then start putting together kind of these voice of the customer diagrams or something, and then yeah. use it in a in a camp in your next campaign. And you have the A-B tested data right there to say, actually, the the customer language performed better than our copywriting language. So give me, can I have some resources to do more customer calls would be an example. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what I was getting at. Like, or you said it better than I did, where if you can just try to get scrappy and free, find the, the resource that you have. And if you don't have, if you're not recording gong calls, get on the call with the salesperson themselves. You know, I mean, each step you get further away from the customer, it's not as good as a one-on-one, but it's better than nothing. And then maybe eventually you'll work your way to where you're able to talk to a few customers beforehand. I love Benjamin. It's good, solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good conversation. Well, I'm going to wrap things up here. Uh, I do have one last 
question for you here, though. Because you've been starting your own consultancy and taking on clients, you've also started to document that process in what a lot of people are calling kind of the work in public method where you you are always writing about your experiences and in some cases even revenue and and experiences with clients what's been the biggest insight that you've taken from being very purposeful in reflecting on the work you're doing yeah um it's really it's all it's almost therapy it's all just been about like the lessons I've learned have just been to continue and keep sharing even though it's really scary like it's terrifying to share how much money you make. And it's terrifying to be like, this is the major struggle I just went through this past week. But, you know, I, I think it's important because otherwise you're out here on your own and you can kind of get in a bubble where you think nobody else is going through this. Like I am the only one who's ever felt like the world of client work is going to shut down, which obviously that's not true. But as soon as you kind of put it out there and it, people start coming back to you and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is kind of the normal process. So I've enjoyed it. It really is a good way for me to document and also hopefully for others to kind of feel like they're not alone either. Like this is kind of part of the journey, This the highs and the lows. So there's the uh, Substack, which is watch me grow to a million, watch me grow a million dollar consultancy Substack. Substack. And then I have my human behavior newsletter, which is human behavior meets marketing. And that one's where it's really, uh, I just dive into a human behavior study and apply the learnings to marketing. So those are the two newsletters where I kind of share my my insights and just kind of whatever interests me. Lots of writing. I love it. I, I try and write as frequently as possible too. And it is therapeutic to put out stuff and it really helps become clear about what you're actually trying to say. Amazing. And you can learn more about Adrian's buyer personas at bestbuyerpersona.com as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Adrian. Thanks, Stuart. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.